You ever tried to explain something to a know-it-all? Now, I don't have the numbers on this where I can show you like charts where, uh, to prove my point here, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that we probably have as many, if not more, know-it-alls in our world today than ever before. I mean, it doesn't take long on social media to see that uh, people are the expert of everything, right? And uh, we, we live in the information age. Today we have access to uh, information on just about any and everything at the click of a finger. And because of this, because most people have smartphones, can access the Internet anywhere, we're, we're just a, a, a few clicks away from a world of information. Because of that, many in our world today believe that they know all they need to know. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 17. We're continuing with our missions emphasis for the month of June this morning by looking at Paul's ministry in Athens. And we are going to learn that the situation in Athens is very similar to our situation today. Athens in this day was the center of the intellectual world. This is the place where, where Western philosophy began. If you wanted the best education in the world, you went to Athens. That's where all the, the great thinkers studied. They were intelligent, very cultured. They were known for their, their great art and architecture, so much so that centuries later, scholars would still be reading and studying and quoting their philosophers and trying to, trying to mimic their, their art and architecture in this great city. Athens was the gold standard for the world when it came to higher learning, the arts and rhetoric, and yet... While that's the case, we are going to discover today that, that while they knew a whole lot, there was a lot they did not know. In fact, we're going to discover that they were ignorant on the most fundamental teachings of who God is, who we are, why we are here, and what God has put us on this earth to do and to know. And again, the same is true in our world today. We live in a world filled with people who think they know just about everything, and if there's something they don't know, they can learn it in a matter of a few minutes. But what you learn pretty quickly as a believer living in this fallen world is that while we, we live in a world filled with know-it-alls, we have not come much further than the Athenians when it comes to the fundamental teachings about who God is, who we are, the reason reason for our existence, our purpose in life. That's why missions ministry, by the way, is so very, very important. Man knows very little when it comes to these answers. And as many of you know, it can be challenging for us when providing these answers from God's Word in a world that thinks it knows it all. So what we're going to do today is we are going to Look at Paul's ministry in Athens, and we are going to draw out some principles from his time there that will help us know how to make God known in a world that thinks it knows everything. Here's the first point. To make God known in a world that thinks it knows everything, we must develop a burden for people who do not know God. 
Look at Acts 17, 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, before we explain this text, we're reminded right away, we've just jumped right into the middle of a book, right? So, so we've got to figure out some things concerning context. Why is Paul in Athens? And who is he waiting for? Well, here's what we learn when we study the context. Paul is on his second missionary journey, which has taken him through Europe. Before arriving in Athens, he is ministering in Berea. And here's a map of it up on the screen just to let you know where Paul has been on this mission trip. Uh, he was not allowed to go there or there. Yeah, through there. All the way around to Berea. That last red box there to the far left is, is Berea. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they saw great fruit when they ministered in Berea. But the non-believing Jews from Thessalonica, where they were before, they came in and they caused problems for Paul, stirring up the non-believers in Berea. And so as a result of that, the believers in Berea, they, they took Paul and they sent him by sea to Athens. Next spot there, look at it. Go to the next slide, there you go, yeah. So they take him to Athens. While Silas and Timothy stayed behind, to work in the ministry there, to oversee the work there in Berea. And we're told that while Paul is in Athens waiting on them, he could not help but notice that this city is filled with religion. The Athenians were very religious, very spiritual people. They were polytheists, which meant they believed in, in many gods, and their entire culture reflected that. Paul saw this right away. Their architecture reflected their beliefs. The stories they told in the marketplace also reflected their system of belief. So the Athenians' worldview at this time was influenced by the, the highly intellectual, deeply philosophical, polytheistic, and, and pagan society in which they lived. Everywhere Paul went in this city, he encountered people devoted to higher learning, people who were deep thinkers, extremely philosophical, and also witnessed the fact that throughout the city, the people were deeply religious. Everywhere Paul turns in this city, he is reminded of their false beliefs and their idolatry, and we're told in the ESV, Paul was provoked. I like the way the NIV puts it. It says, he was greatly distressed. What, what that word means here is that he was emotionally shook. He was emotionally concerned. When Paul saw the idols, he was greatly distressed, emotionally concerned, deeply burdened by seeing that the one true and living God was not known or worshipped in this city. Have you ever felt that way? You ever encountered an individual or, or a group of people that are so lost, you just become deeply distressed emotionally because of their situation, because of the state of things in their lives spiritually. Paul felt this way toward the Athenians. He was sickened by the depravity in this city and distressed emotionally about how lost they, they were. His heart broke for them because of how far they were from the truth. We often see this in, in Paul's ministry. He had a burden for the glory of God, one. 
He had this, this great desire for God to be known in worship where he is not known in worship, but his heart also broke for the lost. His heart broke for those who were enslaved in sin, those who were like lost sheep without a shepherd to guide them. And let me ask you again, does your heart break for the lost? I think many of us, if we're being honest, would say not as much as it should. The reason why, number one, is talked about it a couple of weeks ago, it's probably because we're a bit too self-involved to be mindful of others. That was Jonah's problem in Jonah 4, and we discussed that, that that's our problem as well. Another reason why we're probably uh, not valuing God and his, and his glory like we should, we don't share Paul's desire to see God known in worship where he is not known in worship, We've also become a bit desensitized to the sin in our lives and world. We are, we are sympathetic to our sinful condition and the sinful condition of others around us, which is why we give excuse after excuse after excuse. How does this happen? How do we become this way? Well, a number of ways. One, spending too much time filling ourselves with the things of this world and too little time filling our minds and hearts with the things of God. We're spending too much time being, being influenced by the desires of our flesh and following the patterns of this world and too little time giving our lives over to the guidance and direction and influence of the Spirit of God through His Word. Listen. You want a heart like God's. You want a heart that is broken for the lost. you got to get on your knees before God and get in His Word to hear from Him. That's where you learn about what stirs His heart. And as believers, when we read about what stirs God's heart, our heart should stir because of the Spirit at work within us. When we get into his word, we learn what brings God glory and what angers him, what pleases him, and what grieves him. Got to put down whatever that is, whether it's a magazine, a book, a program, something on the, something on the web that talks about how good man is, just the way he is, and we need to get into God's word and read about what he has to say about it what God says about himself, and what he says about us without Christ. If we're going to be effective at sharing Christ in a world that knows it all, we've we got to be willing to do this. Develop a burden for those who do not know God. Number two, second key to making God known, a world that thinks it knows everything, we must invest time in the lives of people who do not know God. Look at Acts 17, 17. <clears throat> so he, that's Paul, reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Here we see Paul, true to form, visiting the synagogues. When you study his, his mission ministry, you see he did that first on the Sabbath, taking the gospel to the Jews and the God-fearers first, and then he went to the marketplace where people were, were buying and selling and trading goods and were also swapping ideas and discussing philosophical ideas and, and sharing religious beliefs, and Paul went there. And notice 
He didn't just go there once, but he went there day after day, every day. Paul invested in people. And what did he do in the marketplace day after day? Look at it, verses 18 through 21. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Now notice that's plural there. They think Paul's a polytheist. They're really messed up. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So they believed Jesus to be a God and the resurrection to be a God because of the way Paul's speaking about both of those things. So they're, they're really <clears throat> messed up. And if you read the rest of it, Paul adjusts the way he speaks to them seeing that there's a misunderstanding to try to bring a, a greater understanding to the truth. So, so he adjusts the way he speaks to them after this. But they think he's talking about foreign divinities. Verse 19, And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. So notice here, Paul's invested. He went on a daily basis. He goes into the public square. He, confer, he, he conversed with the, the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. These were two popular philosophies during the day. At this time in this day, the Epicureans taught that the purpose in life was pleasure, and they went after it with all their might, and, and they did away with anything that took away from their pleasure. They, they lived in accordance with uh, uh, Sheryl Crow's famous tagline, if it makes you happy, can't be that bad. That was, that was first theirs before it was hers. Stoics stressed living in harmony with nature, and, and depending upon reason, both philosophies stressed the quest for peace of mind. Many of them were polytheistic. They believed in many gods, and the Stoics were pantheistic. They believed God is everywhere and in everything. Very, very different from the Christian faith. Yet, while very different from Paul and the Christian faith, Paul spent time with them, listened to them, met with them where they were for the purpose of meeting them where they are with the gospel and leading them to the truth. That's Paul's aim. That's his desire. He did this so that he could know where they were coming from, what they believed, why they believed, what they believed, so that he could effectively share God's gospel with them. And notice, he needed a great deal of time with them because the gospel was completely foreign to them. They completely misunderstand Paul. They think he's a polytheist. But they were interested in strange and new teachings, which gave Paul an audience with them. God's working, you see that, providentially. After a few encounters, Paul knew they had a ways to go to understand God's gospel, so he went to them every day. He spent the day sharing God's gospel with them, conversing with them. Why? Because he wanted to understand them so that he could meet them where they are with the gospel message to lead them to Jesus. That was Paul's aim. He had a heart for them. He wanted them to understand and respond 
to the truth of the gospel message. He wanted to see them come to saving faith. That's why he invested in these people. Listen, if we want to make an impact in this world, in a world that knows it all, we have to be willing to invest in people. We need to be willing on a regular basis to talk with people about what they believe and why in order to learn what they believe so that we can meet them where they are and take them from where they are and lead them to Jesus. Paul gave us that example. And listen, we got to really listen, not constantly interject. Oh, no, 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 you're, you're wrong here, you're wrong. No, listen to people. From the overflow of the... The, what, what comes out of the mouth, what? It's from the heart, right? What comes out of our, our, our mouths is in our hearts. So you can hear what's going on in people's hearts by what they say, what they believe. There's something deep-seated behind that, and we can learn a lot. And, and like Paul, meet people right there with the gospel to lead them to the truth. While salvation is a work that God does, Scripture is clear that God does this great work through His people in the power of His Spirit sharing His great word. Therefore, we got to go. we got to invest in people, spend time with them, learning what they believe and why so we can meet them and lead them to Jesus. Here's the next point, number three. To make an impact in a world filled with know-it-alls, number three, Intentionally build bridges so that those who do not know God may come to know him. Look at verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now let's stop there for just a minute. <clears throat> Paul goes to the Areopagus. We have a picture of it here. This is a modern day picture of it. This is the Areopagus here. Some call it Mars Hill. Some call it Ares Hill. Ares, the Greek god of war. Mars, the Roman god of war. It's the same place. So Paul is brought to this place, which is where they discuss different philosophies and religious belief systems, and, and they view Paul's teaching as something strange and new, so they give him an audience. They want to know more about Paul's beliefs, and notice how he starts. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, what is Paul doing here? He's building a bridge, isn't he? He's meeting them where they are. Paul has spent every day with these people. He has studied their beliefs. They have had hours upon hours of dialogue. He has earned an audience with them. Now he is sharing with them about what he has observed from being with them. And he begins right where they are. He says, you guys are very religious. It's important to note. Paul takes a different approach with the Athenians than he did with the Jews in the synagogue. When he went into the synagogue, where did he go? He went to Scripture, right? Why? Because they knew Scripture. He showed them where Christ was all throughout their Scripture, how he had fulfilled all of these things. He didn't go there with the Athenians. You know why? They didn't have Scripture. Now, what, what would have mattered to them at this point that Jesus is throughout the scriptures. He, he had to start at an earlier place. He starts at, at, at where they are, being very religious, but we're going to learn in a minute. He also goes back to the very beginning, to creation with them. So a different approach here uh, because Paul knows his audience, right? 
He addresses that they're very religious. Look at what else he says, verse 23. He says, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. So, so Paul's saying here, as I've been meeting with you, I, I've noticed you're very religious. For, for example, I've passed through your city and, and I have observed many of your objects of worship. I've noticed you're so religious that you even have a catch-all altar just to cover your bases to the unknown God. You guys are so religious that you've got one altar that you've spent time constructing just to cover your bases. An altar to the unknown God. And Paul uses this altar built to the unknown God to build a bridge to them. He says, let me tell you about the God you don't know. Well, that's good, isn't it? He says, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He's building a bridge. After spending day after day with them, learning about what they believe, after walking through their city, observing their objects of worship, he meets them where they are by talking to them about the God they do not know. That's how you effectively share the gospel in a world that knows it all. You invest in people. You learn what they believe and why so that you can meet them where they are and take them from where they are to Jesus, intentionally building bridges so that they may come across with you to the truth. Is there anybody in your life today that you are building bridges with so that you can share the gospel with them, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, family member? Is there someone you meet with on a regular basis just to learn about what they believe and why so that you can prayerfully see where to meet them, to take them from where they are and lead them to Jesus? Are you doing that? To be witnesses for Christ, the witnesses that he has commissioned us to be, we have to build bridges for people so they can move from where they are Jesus. Number four, fourth and final point, to make God's gospel known in a world that knows it all, we got to faithfully share God's gospel message. Faithfully share God's message so that those who do not know God come to know him. That's what Paul does in verses 24 through 31. Because Paul has this burden for the Athenians who do not know God after, after investing in them, learning about what they believe and, and why and, and, and meeting them where they are to build a bridge for them so he can take them from where they are to Jesus. Paul then shares God's gospel message to them so that they can come to know the truth, so that they can come to know Jesus Notice there are several points to Paul's message. I didn't include this in your outline. You can write it on the back if you would like. A few major themes here. First, he begins with creation. He begins with the creator God. Look at verses 24 through 25. He said, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. 
Through, through Paul's time spent with them, he learned that the Athenians believed in many gods. They believed in the sun god and the moon god and a rain god. And Paul takes that knowledge that they have, that he has of them, and he basically tells them, though you believe in, in all of these different gods, and some of you believe that God is everywhere and in everything, he says in verse 25, I want to tell you about the God who created everything. I want to tell you about creator God. I don't want to talk about your gods in nature, but I want to talk to you about the God who created nature. The God who stands behind all that is. I don't want to talk about the lesser gods who live in your temples made by man, who is served by human hands. I want to tell you about the God who created the human hands. The God who created all that is. The Lord of heaven and earth. The God who is in need of no one and nothing. The God who gives mankind life and breath and everything. So Paul begins with the God who created all that is. Second point is that the God who has created all that is is a God of providence. He's behind everything that he's created. We see this in verses 26 and 27. Look at it. Paul says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. He's still at the beginning, right? Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, yet He is actually not far from each one of us. Boy, great truths here, right? Paul, is, Paul says here that the, the, the God who has made everything has made all of us from one man. We know that to be Adam. And he says that, that God, the God who has created us through one man, has given us life and breath and everything. The one who has placed us here, he has put us here, he has given us life and breath and everything for a purpose, to seek him, even though we haven't done this, he has put us on this earth to live for him. He has allotted periods in the boundaries of our existence. He has us here, believers, at this time, in this place for a reason. He has us in the time and place he has us so that we would live for him. And, and Paul also makes it clear here that he is near us and he has opened a way for us to go to him so that we can be made right with him so that we can live for him. So Paul talks about the creator God, the fact that God is a God of providence who has created us for himself to live for him. He has opened a way for us to come to him. Next point he makes has to do with the way we approach him in worship. Look at verses 28 and 29. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. So he's using their poets here. He's building a bridge. And he... We are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Paul here establishes common ground with them once again in this passage, acknowledging the fact that, that we're all religious people. We are all worshipers. The problem is we often worship things that pale in comparison to who God really is, that fall infinitely short. We, we worship, we pour ourselves into created things rather than the Creator. 
Paul is, is addressing their religious activity. And he's basically saying, though you're very religious, though you're worshipers, and by the way, we all are, right? The issue is not whether or not we're worshiping, it's, it's who or what we're worshiping. We're all, that's ingrained in us, right? He says, the God you do not know is the God who has created all that is. And, and the problem is you are worshiping things that he has created. You are worshiping things that you have created instead of worshiping the one true God who has created everything. The God who has given you life and breath and everything. You're to be worshiping him. He is the one worthy of of all your worship he is the one who deserves all your praise and what he wants you to do is give that life that he has given you back to him that's what he wants that's what he wants from them that's what he wants from us the breath that he has given you to breathe he wants you to give that back to him in praise that's why he's created you He's given you the activity that you have so that you'll exert yourself in a way that serves him. That's why you're here. Is to give the life that God has given you back to him. Paul's preaching, isn't he? <laughs> so he talks about creation of God providence of God the worship of God and he ends with the judgment of God we have said that uh, Paul was burdened for these people and invested in them and was willing to build bridges for them he was faithful to share God's message to them however while he did this he did not shy away from sharing God's message of judgment with them look at verses 30 and 31 the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus. Notice here, Paul cares about these people. He cares about them so much, he does not shy away from sharing the truth of God's message of judgment with them. Do you realize, we, we often view a message of judgment as being something that's very calloused and unloving. Do you realize that God's warning of judgment is his mercy? Do you realize that? It's his mercy. When you share the truth of God's coming judgment, when you warn of that, that's a loving thing when you do it in a loving way. We've got to do it. We've got to share it. It's his mercy. It shares of a certainty that's coming and the doom for those not trusting. Paul basically tells them here that they're, they're ignorant by their own admission. They admit that there's a God they do not know and Paul says you need to get to know him. And you need to repent of failing to worship and live for him, for settling for, for far less than what God intends, worshiping created things rather than the creator. Paul tells them that, that this God they do not know, he has appointed a day when he is going to judge the world he created according to his righteousness. 
He is going to judge all of those who failed to worship him. Those who have not sought him. Those who have not given their lives back to him. The life he has given them. He is going to judge the world. Get this. Through the same man he sent to save the world. That's what he says. We're told in verse 18 that Paul preached Christ and the resurrection to them. And in verse 31, he tells them, God is going to judge the world through the one he sent to save the world. The one who suffered and died and was raised in order to save us. And he, he tells them this so that they can know, so that they will respond by trusting in Christ so that they do not have to face him in judgment at that appointed time in the future. He just lays out the gospel, doesn't he, to them. He shares about the fact that they've been created by God. God's given them life and breath and everything. He shares with them that God has, has, has put them here to, to live for him and seek him. He has addressed their false worship and the fact that God wants them to worship him, to give that life he's given them back to him. And he's also shared about the judgment of God if they do not forsake their sin. He's let them know that God, in our desperate state, he sent his son, Jesus. He preaches Christ and the resurrection, the fact that Jesus lived for us and died for us and was raised for us so that we, through faith alone and him alone, could be forgiven of sin and restored to a right relationship with the living God. Paul shares it all here. What's their response going to be? Look at it, verse 32 through 34. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. God's grace. After sharing God's gospel message with them, some mocked, some wanted to hear more, others believed, and we see that response today to God's gospel. It happens week in and week out. Not much has changed, as we said in the beginning, from then till now. Our context is very, very similar to that of Athens. We live in a world filled with religious people who believe they know it all, but the problem is they do not know the God who has given everything to them, life and breath and everything. They're not worshiping him, living for him, even though he created them to. Maybe this is you this morning. Listen, if this is you, know that God has made a way for you to come to him and be made right with him and restored to him. And he has done it through his son, Jesus Christ. Though we have all forsaken him, we have turned away from our maker, set ourselves against him. He sent his son to live and die for us and he set himself against his son, placing our sin on him. He became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might be made righteous through faith in Christ alone. God has made that possible. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation today? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you bowed the knee to King Jesus? Is he Lord of your life? I pray that he would be. 
Let's pray together.